Life in a Small French Village, Episode 13, Parents. The cornices and elaborate stonework around doors and windows of houses built before World War I show the skills of the craftsmen that created them, as well as the rather utopian belief that such visible beauty would elevate public consciousness and render life more elegant. But 19th century architecture lost favour in the 20th century, and the new villas, particularly those built after World War II, showed that times had indeed changed. Those who had lived in the older houses now wanted to show they were up-and-coming, members of a new middle class, and they demanded all the visual trappings and new materials that illustrated such a rise in status. Eschewing those older, ecologically sound buildings of stone, chalk and sand, they were drawn to houses in the new developments, those made out of cinder block and cement, decorated with linoleum, the new plastics, the 1980s modern world of fuzzy wallpaper and polystyrene ceilings. These new houses, usually built on a little mound above the garage so they were highly visible, were surrounded by chain-link fences, had sterile lawns but usually no trees, a shrub or two, a barbecue disguised as an ancient well, a few decorative wagon wheels, old wooden carts filled with geraniums, and, of course, there was always a barking dog. Our mayor, rezoning and selling off some of his choice agricultural land so that a new housing development could be built, was certain village life would improve. Of course, it didn't. Not really. Not many locals could afford the new houses, so many of the new homeowners weren't locals, but those who came from the cities or city suburbs. These incomers had no wish to participate in village life. They wanted to show that they were more sophisticated than local yokels. Nor did they frequent the village cafes. They never shopped locally, preferring large supermarkets and hypermarkets a great distance away. But of course, these new shopping centres also attracted the locals, who saw them as an upmarket alternative to local shops and local produce. The urban influx did augment the diminishing rural population. Small farms were being swallowed up by large industrial agricultural enterprises. Village shops were closing, and many locals were leaving for the cities and the jobs to be found in them. Yes, the small towns and villages did become more accessible through better roads. The newcomers did introduce a more modern way of thinking, but of course television had the same effect, and a more modern way of life was not necessarily a better one. Nor did these incomers, workers, technicians, teachers, participate in village life. They could be seen at garage sales, Christmas fetes, school meetings, but their friendships were not with locals, but with the others who lived in the developments. People who are like us, one woman said. Eventually, the conversations shared on village streets after work or in the local cafes stopped. People began avoiding cafes altogether. They were, well, primitive. One by one, the cafes closed. Older people began dying off, 
or moving into retirement homes, a new phenomenon since before they had always stayed in the villages and were looked after by their families. So aside from a few retired people and the unemployed, villages became quieter and quieter. Conversation on the street was replaced by telephone conversations and then, eventually, by internet chats. What was left of tradition and solidarity disappeared. Of course, the housing developments are anything but quiet. They are noisy places indeed, with their squealing electric lawnmowers, mulching motors, leaf blowers, hedge cutters, mini tractors, electric saws, quads, motorbikes, garden music systems, electric pumps. And those verdant lawns, so admired by many, are nothing more than overwatered, chemical-soaked, ecologically sterile bits of ground. As for the backyard swimming pools, deemed so desirable, they kill off much wildlife. The hapless frogs, toads, snakes, hedgehogs, rabbits, neighbourhood cats, and many other hapless creatures that fall into them. But living in those developments were not only the people who came from the city. There were a few others, local sons and daughters, who commuted to the large towns and cities for work. They, although wanting nothing more than to distance themselves from their former village background, still wanted localised to admire their success. This was certainly the case with Alain. He had grown up in the village. His father had been a local artisan. His mother, however, had had great hopes for her son. He would get on in the world. He would make good. Alain never doubted his mother's faith in him. He left school at 16. Degrees were less important back in the days when he started climbing the career ladder. And he went to work as a bank clerk, then eventually became a tenor. A slender man, he cultivated elegance and charm until such attributes became quite natural to him. He married Anne-Marie, a working-class woman who had grown up in a Paris suburb, and she was as ambitious as her husband. Alain, clever and industrious, saw his career progress rapidly. He, his wife, and their two children went to live abroad, where he became a bank manager. Returning to France a few years later, he became a financial advisor and came back to this village where he had grown up and bought a house in the housing development. Quite convinced that their children would be quite superior, Alain and Anne-Marie spoiled them. Yet the daughter and son were unremarkable, as selfish and self-centred as such an upbringing made them, obsessed with fashion, with their looks, but never doubting their superiority. Both Alain and Anne-Marie never ceased to praise their talent in art, music, their general brilliance. Every time guests came to the house, they were forced to look at the children's artwork. Life was quite different for two village children who really did have talent, but whose parents were uneducated farm workers. One was Marie-Paul's daughter, Nathalie, a quick and charming girl, even-tempered, kindly, and very lovely, a beauty only marred by badly protruding teeth. But her parents weren't going to waste good money on dentists or orthodontists. In her milieu, children were not to be indulged. 
Natalie took dancing classes with a teacher who worked with the local school, and she was said to show remarkable talent in ballet. She was certainly professional dancer material, insisted the teacher, so much so that she would certainly be accepted for professional training at the very exclusive ballet school of the Paris Opera. There would be grants available. It would be a shame to waste such promise. But Guy, Mary Paul's husband and Natalie's father, was an agricultural worker, and he was not pleased at this news. No daughter of his was going to Paris or to ballet school. Who knew what girls got up to in the city? Of course, it wasn't just the idea of big city risk that bothered Natalie's parents. Having a career as a dancer had no relation to their life. They were people of the earth. What did they know of the ballet, the arts? The word work meant manual work to them. Intellectual work made no sense. It couldn't be seen. There was no transformation of something into something else. It was, in other words, virtual. Wasn't dancing a leisure activity? Something you did at a local ball? It was a pleasure. It had an aura of sin about it. Hadn't the church been saying that for centuries? Dancing was putting your body in front of the eyes of others. It was artistic, thus futile. It wasn't productive. It didn't benefit society. Work, on the other hand, was something that made you suffer. It was field work. It was work in the mines. All my arguments, all the arguments of Natalie's teacher, had no effect on Guy. He simply became more surly and more determined. The other local child with talent was the youngest brother of Lagos. He... Frederick had the voice of an angel, and it was pretty certain he would become a professional singer. His parents, also agricultural workers, certainly weren't opposed to the idea of their son's success. On the contrary, they saw their own glory in Frederick's stardom, because he would be a pop star like Johnny Halliday or Eddie Mitchell. What would have been the next logical step was, of course, finding a teacher who would show Frédéric how to use his voice. But uneducated, his parents were unable to see this as necessary. What did training matter? Frédéric could sing at marriages and balls, and he would, through his talent, succeed. They dreamt of the big new house success would bring, and the rise in status. Such dreams didn't touch Guy, Natalie's father. He decided Natalie would now leave school and go find work in the new supermarket that had just opened in a neighbouring town. Marie-Paul didn't defend her daughter either. She, too, knew the old stories of dancers, former poor country girls who had gone to Paris and become mistresses of wealthy married men. What her husband said was law. But there was another reason, too. Mary Paul was jealous of her lovely daughter, and she couldn't allow her to do better than she had done. And that was very different from the middle-class way of thinking. Children of the bourgeoisie had to succeed where the parents had either failed or felt they hadn't reached the great heights they were meant for. Or else, a banker like Alain needed to show that there was a 
cultural, refined side to their family. He had spent his energy on making money and climbing the ladder to success. Now he wanted proof that he and his wife were far deeper than those who were only interested in making money. What happened to these four children in the end? Alain and Anne-Marie's daughter, self-centered, colorless, married into a wealthy family. The ultimate success as far as her parents were concerned. They were certain she would dabble in art when her children were older. But the marriage didn't last. The son, highly strong, bright but undisciplined, went to live on society's margin. Natalie did become a checkout clerk, not a dancer. And Frédéric, with his angel's voice, did sing at a few weddings, dances and clubs. He eventually married the daughter of a record company producer, who immediately shunted the new son-in-law into a desk job. <laughs>